This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Hey, hey, it's G-Mac and Doug Brown. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Great Cup Edition. Calgary, here we come. Say it with some excitement and enthusiasm in your Calgary, here we come. (laughs) Let's take a look back at how the Bombers did it yesterday. My gosh. Alaris back to pass. Into the end zone he goes. He's got Kenny Lawler for a touchdown. Oh, high snap. Ryan brings it down, and Brett Lowther puts the ball through from the 13-yard line. That cuts the Bomber lead, and Medlock's kick is a nice spiral that'll bounce on the five and go into the end zone. Big Ben is going to kneel down there and concede the single point. 13-yard field goal. Sean McGuire is the holder. Medlock puts it up and through, and the Bombers go in front 14-4. to be a 42-yard John Ryan is the holder, and it's right from the middle of the field, and there's no real wind factor here. The ball down, the kick up, and it is good. Pajardo back to pass. Going long this time down the left side, intercepted at the 15, to the 20, the 25, to the 30, the 35. Winston Rose, the 40. He's to center field, the rider, 50, the 45, the 40. Rose caught it to Bomber. I make that the rider. 33-yard line. Tony Pajardo left side, and he won't get there. The Bombers have stopped him at the one-yard line. Big goal line stand. The Bombers will send out their punt team, and there's the punt. A driving spiral. Thigpen at the rider, 50. And he gets away to the outside. Look out. Thigpen's got speed. The 45, the 40, down to the 36-yard line of the Blue Bombers. Pass is Pajardo. Steps up and fires, and it's oh no, it went off the hands of Marcus Sales and into the arms of the rider receiver at the five yard line with 20 seconds left. That's impossible. 20 to 13, the Bombers lead. The Riders are third and goal at the Blue Bomber eight yard line. Last play of the fourth quarter, barring a penalty, is it the last play of the game? We're about to find out. Pajardo, shotgun, back to pass. Into the end zone, hits the upright, and it's incomplete, and that's the game. There's no flags on the field. The game is over. It's been a long time since I've been able to say this, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to the Great Cup. Well, Doug, I know about you. I've listened to the broadcast. I listened to that last minute of the game three times. My palms still get sweaty. I don't know how many times you can actually win a game, but I think the Bombers won the game four times on that last drive. Right after. Unbelievable. (laughs) This is uh, absolutely thrilling. You said the Bombers could do it. They've done it. 
here we are. So let's look back before we look forward. Let's talk about the defense. Yes, they gave up 330-plus yards passing to Cody Fajardo, but they stopped the Saskatchewan Rough Riders when they needed to. Yeah, uh, Saskatchewan had three visits inside the 10-yard line that came over three points. Okay, uh, The Bombers' defense played in the Western Final against uh, a 13-win team. They did not allow a touchdown. Okay, uh, If you're not giving up majors in the Canadian Football League and you're holding people to field goals and you're you know, three trips inside your red zone, deep inside your red zone, come away with three points only, I mean, that makes you a bona fide contender for a championship season and year. This defense is playing out of its mind right now. Reiterate that, Doug Brown, for the non-believers. Four quarters of playoff football and how many touchdowns? Zero touchdowns, right? And if you want to pick up from the Calgary game as well, I mean, uh, Calgary didn't score a touchdown, I believe, in the second half of that game. They got shut out in the third quarter of that game. Zero passing yards. This defense is just, I mean, the offense, you, we could talk about the offense the entire program today, but the defense is what is carrying this football team to the Grey Cup and what gives them an opportunity for a championship season. They're playing out of their mind right now. This retooled, revamped secondary, they're ball hawking. I mean, they were, uh, you, you look at some of the plays, you know, they could have had five interceptions in this game, just from misfortune, they did not. Um, Drake Nevis gets a sack early, sets the tone. They're they're stopping the run. Uh, they're pressuring Cody. It was just, and like you said, the best quote I heard in everything that happened yesterday, we had Adam Big Hill on the postgame show, and he said, we defend every single blade of grass. And I'd never heard that before. And uh, that's the best way. To, to put it, when you're in that small area, when you're backed up in your own red zone and there's nowhere to backpedal anymore because it's the back of your end zone and you're lined up on the one-yard line or on your own goal line, that's defending every blade of grass because there's only a finite amount anymore. You've run out of turf and territory and these guys just peel. They put their ears back and they just they come after it. It's incredible. The way Adam Big Hill got into the backfield and stopped Cody Fajardo on the situation where they were third and one on the goal and and they don't go middle wedge and he tries to run it go outside it and 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 Big Hill follows him down the line and then meets him in the backfield tracks it, him and then hits it downhill. It yeah. was an unbelievable. It was an all star play by an all star player and. Adam Biggie is back, right? Adam Big Hill has been um, just uh, an average observer, an average participant for you know when he was injured. First part of the, he was just it was just regular Adam mm-hmm. Big Hill. Uh, he wasn't the defensive player of the year caliber guy we saw last year. We don't know if he was compromised due to injury, what was going on, if he had a different role in the defense. But suffice to say. Biggie's back. Now, at the best time of the year, the guy's all over the place. Um, he gave Cody Fajardo his first oblique checkup early in that game. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, if I, I thought nev- that was a helmet, helmet hit almost. He absolutely destroyed Cody. And I was like, wow, how are your obliques feeling now, boss? But that was that was incredible. 
And he's just, he's physical. He's flying all over the place. He's playing downhill. He's sniffing stuff out. I saw him diagnose reads. Okay, William Powell's getting the handoff. He's a slash runner. Very, very good. Very explosive. Can cut on a dime and he's gone. And Biggie is hitting the line of scrimmage before they've even handed off. He's already diagnosed the play. He already knows the hole he has to be in. He's getting there before William Powell even has a football. And it's just incredible the rate that he's processing at. He's a big reason why this defense is uh, playing out of their mind right now. We have to give credit uh, to the coaching staff for having the stones to retool that secondary a little bit. Three out of five. I'm like, three what's out of going on here? Guys, late, right? late in the year, you're making changes. Who is this Mastin guy? Who are, who's this, you know, who's Nick this Taylor. Taylor guy? Is he from Duran Duran? Who, who like, are, who is you know, he? Exactly. And uh, it's just working out for them. So, uh it's all come together defensively for this team, and they are the catalyst that is the catalyst that has springboarded them to this great cup opportunity. And I think about I'm going to say three minutes before Winston Rose came up with that incredible interception that yeah. just about went for six points. Yeah. I texted my dad and I said, you know, the the offense has been struggling in the second half. They really need the defense to be the offense here, and maybe a pick six. And sure enough, Winston Rose does what he's been doing all season, led the league in interceptions, nine interceptions, and he just steps in front of a Fashardo pass. I'm not exactly sure what Shaq Evans was thinking on the play. I think he kind of gave up on the ball, and Winston Rose stepped in front of it, just about took it all the way back to the house. But that's exactly what Rose has been doing all year long. Yeah, you know, and let's let's shift gears to the offense now because um, they deserve some credit. The thing that really jumped off the page for me offensively was they changed their M.O. For me, the M.O. of this football team, obviously they went into halftime and they're winning, okay? M.O. of this football team for me up to this point has been, oh, they're winning. Here comes the conservative switch. Here comes the play not to lose. Don't play to win. Play not to lose. And I'm just like, oh, boy, here we go. It's going to be run, 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 which always isn't bad, but I'm like, we're just not going to attack anymore. That's what I was concerned about. All of a sudden, you know, it's a deep ball to Adams, Darvin Adams for 63 yards. It's a deep ball to Dembski for 42 yards. It's a deep ball to Wolitarski for 34 yards. A lot of these plays are on first down. Mm -hmm. They just went after it vertically. Paul Lapolis on first down, you know, half the time it's a, it's a run play. They didn't even run. They didn't even rush for 100 yards. In fact, uh, Saskatchewan outrushed the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in this game. But on first down, you got Paul Apolis playing with the lead, throwing down the field. Now, it's a combination of two factors. He's got Zach Claris back there, and he knows Zach Claris has excellent touch on his deep ball. His placement is just perfect. Either his guy's going to get it or nobody's going to get it. So you take a lot of risk out of the equation with that. But I think Zach Claris is, you know, Either Paul Apolis studied his own tendencies and changed them up in this game, or Zach Claris gave him a confidence injection where he knows he can go after it because they kept their foot down on the gas, even though only one touchdown was scored this entire game and Muddy Medlock made four field goals. Um, they still were aggressive. They still won the time of possession. They limited the exposure and the number of touches the Saskatchewan offense would have, and they won the field position game because they challenged Saskatchewan vertically. Saskatchewan took away the run game, and uh, Paul Apolis, I was blown away. I was like, my God, you're throwing these 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 vertical passes. You're stretching them downfield, these go routes on, on first down. It was unbelievable. 
you had a 56-yard touchdown to Nick Densky come back on a penalty where Densky himself was offside. You had another play where Darvin Adams, although he was diving, got his hands on a ball. That would have been about a 50-plus yard reception in the second half that I'm sure Adams would like to have back. And then there was the deep ball where Caleros missed Adams by maybe 24 to 30 yeah. inches. And so, like you say, even all the passes that were completed, you add in the plays that were either called back by penalty or plays that just missed. Yeah. There was another 150 yards worth of passing offense that didn't make it up onto the board, and the Blue Bombers showed absolutely zero fear of throwing the ball against Saskatchewan to the point where that might have been the pl- game plan exactly. Well, you spent all week getting ready for Chris Trevler and Andrew Harris. How much did you spend planning yeah. for our passing attack? Well, I, it looks to me like defensively, that's what Saskatchewan decided. Hey, this team is predicated on running the football. They beat Calgary and they rushed the ball for 200 yards. When Winnipeg beats up on football teams, they rush for 200 yards or damn near close to 200 yards. So Saskatchewan, it looked to me every way, shape, or form said, yeah, you're not running the ball against us, Andrew Harris, Chris Strebler, whoever, beat us, with beat, the us pass. beat us with your pass. And, and that's exactly what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did, obviously in conjunction with the defense that was playing lights out. Okay, so Justin Medlock, you mentioned Money Medlock on the field goals. He was rock solid yesterday, absolutely perfect. Struggled a little bit even with kickoffs, at least one in particular. And his punting game, he's going against John Ryan, so you sort of concede that. But that punt return... Huh. In the last minute, as the as we went right into the last minute, Bob Irving on the highlights, you can hear him counting down a minute, 59, 58 seconds left as Medlock punts the ball, and the Rough Riders pull a Bomberuski yeah. on them yeah. and go deep, deep into the playbook and do something that the Bombers did against Saskatchewan three banjo bowls ago when Maurice Leggett was the receiver and took the ball all the way back for a touchdown on a misdirection play that was executed perfectly by the Bombers in September of 17 and executed absolutely perfectly by the Rough Riders yesterday. Yeah, and who was the hero? Who got called out by Mike O'Shea? Shane Gauthier. Shane Gauthier saved the day right there. I was like, oh, this is done. This guy is going to the house I didn't know that guy could run so fast. Like it was, it was he probably incredible. didn't know. He either. recognized. I mean, I don't know if he knew it was the last line of defense there, but he was, and uh, he put it all on the line, and and that you know that could have changed the outcome of this game. But it's funny because when you're the punt team, now, granted, I've never been on the punt team, but I've watched punt team practice a lot, and uh, you know where Medlock's punting the ball. You know, you, you know if he's. Punting it to the left or to the right or, or down the middle of the field. So how do you get tricked like and, that? And, uh, you know, they must have thought he mishit it. And or they uh, you, you never get eyes to the football, right, when you're a punt cover because you're running downfield and the, the ball's 50 yards in the air. So sure. you, you don't have time to look up unless you want to get ear holds. So they were believing what they were seeing unfold on the field, which was a, a right return, but the ball was actually going on the opposite side you know, it ended up being a left return in terms of Saskatchewan's uh, perspective on this. 
and everybody followed where the blockers were setting up and where one of their returners went and pretended like he was fielding the ball. And that's exactly a page, as you said, out of the Bombers' own play. It's funny, in the postgame show, we couldn't get, because we were asking Mike O'Shea about it after we, you know, gave him all his compliments and, and all, all the due that he uh, deserved from this game. They were like, come on, man. Does it, Bob was like, don't your guys know which way the ball is playing? He was like, it was our mistake. We will correct it. But he wouldn't concede whether the players actually know where, yeah, they know where Medlock is punting the sure ball. But do. it's it's interesting. I mean, that was some uh, pretty crafty stuff that Saskatchewan pulled out and used that against the Blue Bombers in this game and almost successfully. I've got to ask you about other aspects of Saskatchewan's coaching and outthinking themselves. We saw that with Pete Carroll and the... Super Bowl a few years ago, putting Brian Bennett in at quarterback. First of all, he shouldn't even been in there, right? Why, is, is that just a matter of the Blue Bomber defense and that rush defense getting in the mind, getting inside the, the the mind of their offensive coordinator and going, I don't know if we can run it against them down here in a conventional fashion, and we've got to get ultra creative, which just blew up in their I face. I don't know. I think they were jealous. They they wanted their own little Chris Trevler. We, we have to have our own <laughs> little Chris Trevler that can come in and run the football or whatever, and it was just terrible. Like, you just took Cody Fajardo out, who's playing out of his mind, who has put it all on the line with his obliques, and, and you just took him out of the game and put in a guy that doesn't have any snaps and screwed it up and he's running the ball out of shock. He's not Chris Trevler as much as you wanted him to be. You know, it was, uh, I was like, oh, imitation is the best form of flattery because they're trying to have a two-headed monster themselves and it ended up being a two-headed disaster. So, yeah, that's uh, part of the reason why three trips inside that 10, they uh, bungled it as much as Credit to the Bombers for making those plays, but man, Saskatchewan shot themselves in the foot time and again when they had opportunities in the red zone, that being one of it, another mistake. Now, you mentioned all the vertical plays. One of the key vertical plays, I think just like last week in Calgary, was when Caleros went deep uh, from the shadow of zone goalpost against Calgary to Darvin Adams early in the game to flip the field position in the game, and then... You had yesterday when the Blue Bombers stopped Saskatchewan, and I think Caleros took off with the ball to get a first down, and then he went deep. I can't remember if it was for to Wallatarski or to Adams to really just once again just get themselves out of trouble. Zach Caleros just doesn't really care where he's on the field. He'll drop back. He'll sling it wherever it needs to go. And like you say, if my receiver's not getting it, nobody's getting it. Yeah, and we... Uh... We, we kind of called it in the pregame show just about how, you know, in the previous game against Calgary, Zach had dropped back, thrown 21 times, rushed zero times, and Strebler dropped back, rushed 13 times, threw the ball zero times. So, obviously, the first time Strebler's in a game, we're like, oh, yeah, watch this. Here's the pass. And, and that's what he did. It sure. wasn't successful. But he had a shot at it, actually, at Darwin Adams, but he didn't make a completion. But uh, it was interesting how they were going to switch that up, and it'll be fun to see what they do in the Grey Cup as well to just – get away from their tendencies and, and have some tendency breakers out there on the football field where they have guys and, and playmakers that are using and doing different things to kind of throw off that Hamilton defense. It'll be real interesting. We haven't spoken a lot about the stats, but I will give you this. Andrew Harris carried the ball 10 times for 41 yards. Chris Strevler four times for a total of 10 yards. Yeah. Zach Caleros, the run that we're talking about, one carry for eight Yards, so there, there you, you go. go. Rushing leader of the day he in had terms the of eight, an average. That's right, he had the eight-yard average. So Zach Caleros, 
taking the Bombers back to Calgary to face the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And just for the history buffs there, just got to remind you, the very same franchise this team played in 1984, the last time these two teams met in the Grey Cup when the Bombers broke their 22-year futility streak against Dieter Brock and the Tiger Cats. So there's all sorts of history. The ninth time these two teams will meet in the Grey Cup. Some of the great matchups in CFL and the Grey Cup history involved the Bombers and the Tiger Cats. The Tiger Cats are, are the favorite in this game based on what they've done in the regular season, right, Doug? Well, I mean, they're the only team in the CFL that Winnipeg Blue Bombers actually haven't beaten, right? And they're doing it with Dane Evans. And I, I still remember being there the first game that Hamilton played against Winnipeg in Hamilton. And Jeremiah Mazzoli was the quarterback, and they were up 14-0 in the first quarter, and Mazzoli went down. I'm like, thank goodness. The Bombers have an opportunity to come back and win this game. They didn't. Matt Nichols was still playing in that game. And this Dane Evans guy came in. I'm like, Bob, who is this? He's like, I don't know. It's their backup. See what he can do. And he didn't. He didn't shine. He held on for the victory. He didn't, you know, do anything amazing or, or uh, outstanding. But here we are many, many weeks later, and uh, he's a proven, established starting quarterback now in the CFL, leading the the team with the best record in the CFL, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Dane Evans, uh, he can throw that football and uh, he, he's got some ability to, to scramble and, and run the rock as well. So he's a, a multi-talented player that really came out of nowhere and just took the reins of this football team. And now is, uh, you know, it's a, a heck of an offense and they're a very balanced football team, just like Winnipeg, which makes it such an exciting matchup. That and, of course, the Zach Kolaris revenge tour continues on in earnest. Uh a game against Simone Lawrence, the guy that knocked him out in only, what, the third or second play for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in week one. And obviously the Hamilton Tiger Cats, a team Zach Kolaris has history with, just as he had history with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Revenge Tour number two, the big dance. So uh, couldn't be more or better storylines for this uh, going into this game. And obviously the drought, one from 99, one from 1990, one of these droughts is ending. So it would be very tempting to just suggest that all around the Hamilton Tiger Cats are a very good team. That's why Dane Evans uh, continued the success that Jeremiah Mazzoli, the, the groundwork that he laid at the beginning of the season. But uh, Dane Evans ended up with just slightly le- less passing yards than uh, who's the guy making $700,000 a year in BC? Oh, yeah, Mike Riley. Riley had just over, under 3,900 yards passing, Evans 3,754. And Evans was. Holding the clipboard for the first couple games, right? So uh, Evans is the real deal, and obviously they've got a a terrific roster of players in Calgary. But here's the thing. Here's, Here's the only shade I'll throw at Evans in terms of his stat line. His touchdown to interception ratio is is healthy, not in a good way. Twenty one touchdowns, thirteen interceptions. You like to see that at a minimum two to one, two to one and he's uh, closer to you know two thirds of the interceptions to touchdowns. So uh, with this ball hawking, yeah, well, sure, he's with young this, and immature, right? And so he lets his receivers make plays, and he'll put it up there. Right, so so that works for you sometimes, yeah. but sometimes it doesn't. So that's going to be, I think, the key matchup is this Winnipeg ball hawking secondary against Dane Evans. His young mind is that never say die attitude. The guy that, and I'm trying to remember which quarterback you always criticize for not 
wanting to give up on a play, but I know there's someone we've spoken about in the last couple of years where you go, that's his downfall, is that he believes that he can always complete the play, and that might be a, a little bit of what we might see with Dane Evans here. The, the Bombers need to kind of coax that out of him. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you look at Dane Evans, and I think a big part of his progression and performance this year is the factor of what caliber of football team that he is on. You know, it's interesting. You look at uh, Cody Fajardo versus Zach Kolaris, and, you know, by a lot of accounts, uh, Cody Fajardo is probably a better quarterback. But guess what? Zach Kolaris is on a better football team, right? right? He's got a a more balanced attack. He's got a better offensive line. He's got a better running game uh, behind him and uh, probably a a much better offensive coordinator working for him as well. So um, sometimes, like you said, it's it's, – you're just a reflection of all the components that are amassed around you. And, you know, Zach Claris is a guy that we didn't think very highly of him, uh, even, you know, uh, after Saskatchewan traded him away to Toronto. Uh, if you had asked me, hey, what's his future left in the CFL? I'd like maybe one more year. And now he's going to have an opportunity. He's going to be able to pick where he wants to play next year. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his salary is going to stop the free fall that it was on in terms of pay cut after pay cut after pay cut. Uh, that's about to do an uh, about face, I would imagine, in terms of, um, you know, his appreciation and, and valuation of his skill set. It just goes to show you, you know, different quarterbacks with different skill sets get getting matched with certain coordinators with elements on a team, a clean pocket, a balanced attack with a great rushing. You know, Zach Claris hasn't had to come here, take this team on his back, and and throw the ball 50 times. He's had to hand it off more than anything. But he's made the throws when they needed him to. He's been put in situations where he's in a clean pocket. He's a better football player for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers than he's been since his heydays in, in Hamilton. And that's a reflection of the environment that he's in. So... I think uh, Dane Evans is, to a large degree, also a guy being propped up by the the infrastructure and the environment he is in. But uh, what a matchup and and what a game that we're looking forward to on Sunday. I don't know if we can get this trending or not. I don't know if we want to, but I, I tweeted out Kawhi Caleros. The idea that Zach Caleros might come into Winnipeg, you know, gets the Grey Cup, and then maybe he goes back to Toronto. Maybe he leaves Winnipeg and goes, yeah, my job is done here. You have your hardware. You're welcome. And you're You're welcome, welcome, and and we put up a statue anyway and uh, and pray at the altar of Zach Caleros evermore. Thank you for facilitating the Zach Caleros revenge tour. Uh, yeah, that is it. That is Coming all. Coming to a t-shirt store. I was going to say, you get your t-shirts at, now. Uh, Blue Bomber Stadium. There you go. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Uh, you and I, Bob, Irving, Christian O'Mel, uh, the whole. We're taking everybody. We're taking everybody to Calgary, and uh, CJOB is the place to be. Keep it locked. Keep it loaded on the Great Six Eighty, and we will uh, get you up to date right down to the last, very last second before kickoff, and the very last second after the final play. Join us on Six Eighty CJOB, Doug. I will uh, see you in Calgary, my friend. Bring your boots and your cowboy hat. Yeah! <laughs> the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. 
Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.